This is ESPN New Hampshire, WGAM, Manchester, WGHM, Nashua. Two to go here on ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. Justin Sullivan working the boards. Man, was Tuka Rask unreal last night. Well, Tom Brady was lighting it up and uh, making a statement down in Foxborough. Tuka Rask was making a statement of his own that he can indeed win in his house of horrors, the Bell Center. The first win there for him since 2009. And Tuka Rass stole the show, and the Bruins steal one up in Montreal. Two to one in overtime. But it's one of these games that you wonder, again, who are these Boston Bruins? What, what, what's up with them? What is their identity? They showed a lot of heart, a lot of passion last night, but still don't know where they're going to go and how they react in Pittsburgh tomorrow. But on to talk about that and all things Bruins with us is Mick Collagio of the New Bedford Standard Times. Mick, how are you today? Hey, Murph, how are you doing? I'm good. What's your impression of that game and what it says about this Boston Bruins squad as currently constituted? Well, Spooner stuck a fork in them, but Toronto always needs to stick a thermometer in afterwards <laughs> and see if it was really done. <laughs> so, it's frustrating, these games. I thought the first one was a good goal, but... Uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, they've gone too far. Uh, so, yeah, 
What does it mean? Where's the Bruins? And, you know, it's funny. You, and you know this. You get the Twitter lights up like a Christmas tree when the Bruins have their three losses in a row and only score a goal or so. And and then it's like, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And everybody wants to do everything then. I'm saying, let's look at it down the middle. Let's not look at it and say, oh, they need to be buyers because they won four in a row. Or they need to, you know, move to the future because they lost three in a row. The season's way too long, and this game here, I thought, was much truer to what they really are, even though they, again, only tallied once in regulation. And right now, that's them. Um, I feel like they're better than that. I feel theoretically in my mind that they're better than that. I'm surprised that they're as good defensively, though, as they are. So, But other teams have, um, you know, have also gone through stretches like this that have Firepower, known, established, respected, even revered firepower, and have gone through this kind of thing this season. So try not to take the uh, the uh, drought too seriously in the offense department. Say, let's say what, see what happens when Vitrano gets back and we'll see what the lines are and, and how that affects things. But uh, it certainly didn't cure their offense, but it certainly seemed to refresh them and give them a sense of confidence to say, hey, what do we got to lose? Let's just go play hard and see if we can win ourselves a hockey game. And, and they did, and it was a big one. Yeah, it was. It was. And you know, Mick, I said I was watching that game going back and forth with the Patriots, and it, at times I found myself watching that one more because it was a rare type of hockey that you see in today's NHL. And, and what I mean by that is it was, it was fast. It was, it was played with a lot of passion from both sides. It was physical but clean at the same time. And whether Montreal fans want to agree with that or not, they wa- both teams walked the line of that, you know, was it dirty or was it not? But they walked the right side, and it had, it had a fisticuff, and it, and it had great goaltending, and it was still low scoring. And proof to me that whether they want to admit it or not, you know, the, the, the more mainstream sports media or the, this new generation that wants to change the rules again to the NHL and increase scoring, you can still have an exciting 2-1 to one overtime game in the NHL. And I, I thought that was a perfect example of it last night. Those are the best. They're the best. Those are the best. When they, to, me, to me, people say, oh, the penalty shot, the most exciting play in hockey. <laughs> to me, the most exciting play in hockey is a scoring chance that in overtime of a playoff game, particularly one that could end the series. That is the most exciting play in hockey. Yeah. And last night is the closest that the regular season gets to that. Yep. That's what that's what last night was like. The entire game was like that. Yeah. That's Bruins against Montreal, particularly in their building. There's something about it that just is unmatchable in today's game. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, it was, it was interesting. Uh, I saw both sides, both reactions, you know, from Habs fans and Bruins fans on Twitter last night, people messaging me. You know, I got lots of friends in Montreal and always, throw, you know, the Boston-Montreal rivalry is something between us. And, and both sides, everyone was just in total agreement of what we just said. Like, wow, that game was awesome. And, and it wasn't, you know, even a Montreal fan, diehard Habs fans I know, saying, man, yeah, we lost. But if, if every game could be like that, man, the NHL would be so much better. And you're right. It was close to playoffs as you can get. And you, you talk about... It being in the Bell Center as well, I totally agree with you. Uh, the atmosphere there is unmatched. But, you know, it was interesting. I, w- I, was sitting, I was watching the game with my mother, and she doesn't believe in hexes and all that and jinxes and, 
and superstition and oh ghosts of the past and I tried to explain to her that it's you know it's Montreal thing and somehow the breaks always go their way up there and there we are when they're reviewing the game winning goal and she's okay maybe you're right <laughs> maybe you are right I I don't want to admit it but maybe you're right and it, it was it was just fun to watch her come over to the dark side there and realize what Bruins fans, what the Bruins players go through. So to come out of there with a win, just I, I, you referenced it earlier, it just means so much more when you can sort of overcome that. And I think one guy, obviously, that had to come out of that really rejuvenated, not that he hasn't been playing great already, is Tuka Rask. Because, man, he just could never seem to catch a break up there. There'll be times where people are questioning whether to start him, despite him being the best goalie in the league at that time. And yet he comes away and I thought had one of his best performances of the year. Well, there he was clutch. I mean, there were big, there was there was one or two that you felt your breath leaving you because you said, "Oh, here it is," yep. and then he made the stop. So, so uh, that's what you want out of your goalie. That's what inspires a team to play for its goalie is to give you those one or two that they can stand on the shoulders of and win themselves a game, and that's what we got last night. Um, and it takes a really gifted player like Ryan Spooner to end a game like that, and which made me feel like, holy crap, the Bruins have a Peter Klima. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of our Kevin listeners Dupont. are a little too young for that, but I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Kevin DuPont, who, uh, the Boston Globe, who is back on the Bruins' beat after yeah. years in other roles, um, which is really kind of great as he winds down his uh, his uh, Hall of Fame writing career. Uh, he he once told me during our days of our little New England Hockey Journal show that um, Harry Sinden said to him one night in Montreal after the Bruins sent the guy to a box with about five minutes into a game, he just leans over to him and says, death, taxes, and the first penalty at the forum. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. But that's, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's in their brains, too, you know? I mean, Cam Neely, I got no rearview mirror. We saw it. How do you drop two games at home in a playoff series and go from there to win the Stanley Cup, like, uh, which Carolina did against Montreal 10 years, uh, several years earlier, uh, five years earlier. Uh, but the Bruins went and did that, and in the most unlikely of scenarios, yeah. You'd think that they would have extricated the demons for all time, no. but uh, <laughs> but then um, you know then we had a reporter say Rocket Richard on the air and and um, you know and then I think they woke up again. So. <laughs> hey man, let's look ahead. Oh, and by the way, too, I want to say too that I, I you know we had Brian Wild of CTV Montreal on yesterday, and he was talking about how Bergevin, Bergevin has done a great job of building that lineup to not only have the the usual skill, speed, and finesse that we're used to in a Montreal lineup, but to having grit as well. And not necessarily fighter grit, but just grit. You know, much like we were we were comparing it to like the way the the Blackhawks are constituted. And what do you know? He brings in Andrew Shaw and, and look what he's doing. But I, I you, that was on full display last night. I mean I thought Montreal last night brought a much-needed edge to this rivalry that we haven't seen in a bit, and, and the Bruins, in kind, all, they responded. Yeah. It can't all be on Emelin. Yeah. It can't be a lone ranger out there, and it was getting that way last year, and I think that what this team did, when I read the Bobby Farnham signing, and that's when I realized, oh, my God, they're going to go back to the 80s here. Yep. We're going to have the Adams division again. And, um, and, and so I knew that Montreal felt like the way Tampa was, was an elite team, 
um, that Florida is an up-and-coming team, um, that they saw themselves as being the worst team. In, after the 9-0 start last year, they were the worst team in the league for the rest of the year. And, and, and they needed to do something, and sometimes you can't pluck skill. Um, you know, of course, they, Radulov is, is clearly a guy who might not have made a fit anywhere else, but he's made it with them. And right now it looks like a genius move. But in the, in the overall, uh, the way they needed to find a way to become competitive again, uh, not only getting back their MVP goalie, but, but, uh, but by stiffening up and playing, being harder to play against and going old school. And they've done that, and it's been very successful for them. And at the same time, they've still maintained that skill that they have. And you bring up Radulov, man. We talked about him yesterday, too. And Like, I... You know, I, I watch. I don't watch the Canadians as often as I used to. I'll watch them when they play the Bruins, and I'll see them on NHL Network here and there. But uh, you know, I was really focused in on him last night, and man, he is—he's just a beast out there. And and like somebody said it, I don't know if it was Sergio Mameso, the last time the Bruins, yeah, I think it was him. I was talking with him downstairs after a game day skate when Montreal was here earlier in the year, and he said, you know, something that nobody brings up about Radulov is how great he was as a, a junior player in Quebec and how he thrived off the spotlight and, and you know, being the only team in town and, and and just having all the focus be on the hockey team there. And he says, look, the guy was in Nashville, and yeah, he screwed up, and he knows it and everything, but he's kind of the opposite of today's European player where most of these European players would prefer to go to a town like Nashville where nobody really cares as opposed to coming to Montreal where you're under that microscope, and he's feeding off that microscope up there. Yeah, I think he's dead-on accurate there. It's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's something he can... I mean, I know you followed Roger Loft's career early yeah. on. Um, you talked about him quite a bit in his early days. And, and, um, and now we've got a guy who's matured, and he's still got his wheels, and the guy has a unique style of changing direction at high speed. He's accelerating in a powerful way and changing directions, and and you're not sure which one it's going to be. It's a unique style of deking the puck and deking his own movement direction. It's uh, he maintains a very intense profile offensively when he's doing that, mm-hmm. and it's really given Montreal uh, a soul offensively during this period of time that was supposed to be disastrous for them with the injuries to Galchenyuk and Bernay. Yeah. And he and he's gritty too. I mean, you saw yeah, that hit. Very much so. I mean, I didn't like the hit on Miller. Uh, I didn't either. I, I thought that that was a you know a classic Russian. Hey, he's in a vulnerable spot and a wreck him. Yep. You know? <laughs> that to me was that was a classic one that I remember from the seventies. Yep. But you know you know what I did like? He didn't back down after. He didn't let his teammates take care. He was there and he said, "Okay, I, I I'm going to take a beating here, maybe." But but here he was. He. He didn't yeah. run away like <laughs> like well, the typical Russian does. Not to fight Kevin Miller too, which was self preservation. Yeah. And, <laughs> but but he but he uh, but, but he uh, yeah, but he stuck in there, and I mean, and he's he's going to come back and he's going to do it again. He's a little reminds me a little bit of Niederreiter. Um, yeah, you know, but well. but I think he's I think he's I think at his best he's a better player. Oh. They're both they're both pretty streaky. Yeah, so we'll for see sure. what happens in the long run here. Hey, speaking of streaks, uh, the Bruins are going into Pittsburgh uh, facing one of the hottest teams in the league. Winners of six in a row, and I mean Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby's like Tom Brady, in, you know, of the NHL right now. It's like he, he, the guy's—he doesn't have anything really prove. I mean, we know he's a great player. He's a Hall of Famer. He, he won them another cup last year. Uh, he's allowed some downtime here and there, but man, he has just come back 
uh, on fire since uh, missing the first couple weeks with that concussion. And some of these goals he's getting, the hand-eye coordination and and just the the pure skill, it's such a a thrill to watch, but it won't be uh, for the Bruins. How do they slow him down tomorrow? Yeah, that's a tough assignment there because he he plays the middle like almost nobody can, um, it's, uh, and he does it all the time now. Mike Sullivan got to him. Um, there's a, the Crosby is playing the kind of, of low center of gravity, powerful skating, I'm coming through the game kind of hockey. He had become, after his 2011 concussions, uh, he had become a bit of a perimeter player. Oh yeah, um, and you know he was getting his PPG, and he was and he was getting his production. But nobody was afraid of the Penguins for years. Right. Uh, but but there's something about Crosby's game after Sullivan took over that team last year that I started seeing the guy that I remembered who came up from Ramuski. Mm-hmm. He this kid was just taking the puck and just. Brushing aside the sticks and the bodies and saying, I'm coming through and you can't stop me. Um, <laughs> he's kind of like a better version of Marshand, uh, you know, which is saying something these days. Uh, you know, this, this guy's got that low center of gravity. He's got so much production out of one natural stride on his skates. And when he plays the power game, man, and then you know what he's got for hands and vision. Yeah, it's just lethal. It's dangerous, and you can only hope to contain his line and make it so that uh, that that they don't um, crush you. You know, trying to get too much. You know, I mean, you can't let him have a big night. That's all you can try to do is not let him have a big night. I hear you. Well, listen, Nick, we will let you go, and as we do that, we will uh, we'll play this song for Tuka Rask because I'm thinking these words were uh, ringing in his head as he skated off the Bell Center ice last night. At last, he gets a win. In Montreal, so good for him. Hey, listen, Mick, always a pleasure, my friend. We will talk to you down the line, and happy holidays. Anytime, Rick. Take care. All right, Mick Collagio joining us from the New Bedford Standard Times. And Tuca, this one's for you. And life is like a song. Dano tries to shove it in from Lincoln into Shaw. A sweet feed and Shaw elevated the puck, but Rask makes a splendid save. Pasternak rings the bell on the stick side of Price. Great chances at both ends, and here's a two-on-one for Montreal. Gallagher to Pocans. Oh, you've got to be kidding me! Tuka Rask stacks the pads left to right and denies Montreal the go-ahead goal. And I found a dream. That I could speak to A dream that I Can call my own I found a thrill To press my cheek to A thrill that I
listening to The Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Stay tuned for The Right Time with Bomani Jones, only here on ESPN New Hampshire Radio. The Apple Therapy Student Athlete of the Month is brought to you by Apple Therapy. Visit AppleTherapy.com. This is Laura Remillard with ESPN New Hampshire Student Athlete of the Month of November with Gabrielle Masseur from Nashua North. How are you? Thank you so much. You broke Nashua North's high school lacrosse goal record as a junior. So that was obviously a really special game. We were playing against Merrimack. Definitely a really great game and it was really exciting, but I couldn't have done it without my teammates helping me out and getting the ball and feeding it to me and their support and my coaches' support. What's your favorite thing about playing lacrosse? So I love getting the ball and transitioning it from whether it be defense to offense, getting it from the draw and just like sprinting down as fast as I can and getting it to my team. I really like the teamwork and effort. On here I'm seeing some volunteer work at the Nashua Soup Kitchen. Yep, I'm involved a lot in like within my school and like sports in my community. National Food Kitchen's one. I'm also Vice President of National Honor Society. I'm a leader in Titan Connections. I'm a leader in Team Titan. I'm actually the secretary in the class of 2017. And where are you looking at going to school, Gabby? I'm actually committed to play um, lacrosse at UNH. What is your inspiration to go above and beyond? My parents have always been there to support me and to believe in me. And I think that has really helped me become like the athlete I am and always reach for the stars and to go with all my heart. Push to be the athlete and the person I am. So they definitely inspire me so much. That was Gabrielle. Masseur from Nashua North, Apple Therapy Student Athlete of the Month. Nominate your son or daughter. Sign up now at ESPNNHradio.com. With six New Hampshire locations, Apple Therapy's comprehensive orthopedic rehabilitation clinics offer convenient access to a wide variety of services. Apple Therapy uses the latest technology and treatment techniques such as trigger point dry needling, active release techniques, running gate video analysis, and Graston technique. Plus, they are networked to most providers and all insurance companies. Apple Therapy is located in Amherst, Bedford, Manchester, Nashua, Londonderry, and Executive Health Club. For more information and access to their video library, visit AppleTherapy.com. Map out an adventure your whole family will always remember. Disney on Ice presents Passport to Adventure. Journey across the African plains with Simba, Timon, and Pumbaa. Fly off to Neverland with Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Explore the underwater world of Ariel, Flounder, and Sebastian. And trek through Arendelle with Anna, Elsa, and Olaf from Disney's Frozen. The journey begins in your hometown. Playing January 26th through 29th at SNHU Arena in Manchester. Tickets are on sale now. Visit DisneyOnIce.com today. Cam Rogers. According to the Cleveland Plain dealer, coaches are forced to teach RG3, or I'll say refresh his mind on, these three mechanics. One, plant your back foot, then throw. Two, get down, then slide. Three, throw the ball away, don't take needless hits from the defense. Those are three things that coaches are focusing on. Rather than focusing on the playbook and improving the offense, they have to pretty much reteach these basic components to Robert Griffin III. Saturday at 4 on ESPN New Hampshire. We all have our mountains, the challenges that push us further. At Coors Light, our mountain is brewing the world's most refreshing beer. That's why all of our breweries cold lager, to give Coors Light its signature crisp taste. It's why we cold filter to ensure brilliance and clarity. And it's why we package cold to seal in Coors Light's refreshing flavor. Because we believe every climb deserves a refreshing finish. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Great beer, great responsibility. Hi, I'm Tim Daly. If you're over 50, like me, you know that we all need to be more aware of our health. Take pneumococcal pneumonia, for example. It's a serious lung disease that can be spread when people cough or sneeze. My mom had it. Now, it won't always happen this way, but for my mom, it was serious enough that she was in the hospital for over a week. She had difficulty breathing, was really weak, and had a terrible cough. 
Some adults think they're too active or healthy to get sick. But as we age, our immune system weakens, putting us at greater risk. It may surprise you, but it's estimated a quarter million Americans over 50 are hospitalized each year because of pneumococcal pneumonia. If you're over 50, talk to your doctor about your risk for pneumococcal pneumonia and see if you're up to date on your vaccinations. Learn more at www.whoknew.com. That's www.whopneu.com. This message is brought to you by the American Lung Association in partnership with Pfizer. Hi, I'm... Paralyzed Veterans of America, National Service Officers. We've got an entire generation of men and women who have seen war. They're going to need voices. Paralyzed Veterans of America represents them. We're going to make sure that the Veterans Affairs gives them everything that they're entitled to. Get all the health care they need. Making a person's house adaptable. And we also focus on getting them a job. We help our veterans for free. Changing lives, building futures. That's Paralyzed Veterans of America. To learn more, visit pva.org. A public service message from Paralyzed Veterans of America. 1250 ESPN New Hampshire, Manchester's home for soccer fans. Oh, I know. He's holding back right now. Pedianopolis is trying not to sing along with this. You can do it, Peter. It's all right. You're allowed. I know we're in New Hampshire, but you're allowed to uh, sing this wonderful fight song. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Go you, Mass. All day, all night, Murph. <laughs> Go you. Go you. Go right. you, Mass. It is Peter Yiannopoulos of TSN and RDS joining me here on the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire, I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy, Justin Sullivan, working the boards. Peter, uh, these, these Celtics here, uh, we just can't seem to get a, get a feel on these guys. They're, they're hanging in now with the, the better teams, the superior teams. They're losing by one, two, three, maybe four points. But yet, they're positioning themselves to win and beat these teams and finding ways to lose. And so it's it's kind of like the glass is half full, half empty type uh, thing here. What do you make of these Celtics now at this point in the season? And and what needs to be done to correct these late uh, game collapses? Yeah, you're right. It's been a uh, roller coaster type of season after 24 games. Uh, still 13 and 11. Uh, high expectations, high hopes. Uh, heading into this season, especially after the acquisition of Al Horford. Um, did miss some time with the concussion. Jay Crowder's missed some time. Kelly Olenek has missed some time. So, so this is part of the process in the NBA, and every team's battling injuries. And you're right, they've been having trouble closing out games. Disappointing loss against Oklahoma City, 99-96. They, they had the opportunity a couple of games before that against the Houston Rockets. Horford misses the easy layup, and I think collectively uh, they have to understand how to close out the games and how to get better shot selection. Mm. Uh, I think without Isaiah Thomas there, it really hurts them. Uh, they like going high ball screen with him and letting him make that decision uh, and trying to find teammates or get his own shot off. How do you incorporate uh, Al Horford into the offense late in the game? Al is not that really dominant 
alpha male spore. Uh, he's a great facilitator and a great passer. So I think Brad Stevens uh, mentioned after the game that they're going to have uh, a couple of practices before they play San Antonio tomorrow night, and I think they're going to work on that. And in the NBA, you don't get to have those quality practices during the season with that robust schedule. But I think right now the Celtics have to improve defensively and get better stops. And I think on the offensive end, uh, they have to try and get to the free throw line, Murph. Uh, they're settling for a lot of long-distance jumpers. Um, and again, mm-hmm. if you're making those jumpers, great. Uh, but if you're not, the other team's getting the rebound. You're not getting the second-chance opportunity where you can get to the free throw line and get easy baskets and then set up your defense. So I think that is something that Coach Stevens and his staff will be working on uh, in the next couple of days heading into their game at San Antonio. Sounds like to me they got to take kind of a, a hockey approach there and get the, get to the dirty areas and get those dirty goals. I mean, it's not how you score them; it's that you score them. And, and right now, it seems the Celtics uh, aren't getting under that basket and grinding it out enough. And it's got to be frustrating to Stevens as well because when he sees them hang with teams like they have, you know, with the Oklahoma City or um, you know with Houston earlier, you know, he's like, man, right there, but it just. Just got to push a little harder, and that's going to be tough. But you mentioned how much they lean on Isaiah Thomas, and and we've discussed them being, you know, mentioned in so many trade rumors right now. And I'm I'm going to look more big picture right now. That's the problem I think right now. One of the big problems is that you are leaning. I think Isaiah Thomas is an amazing player. He's clearly their MVP. He's a great skilled player. He's he's got a lot of heart, and I I think he's a player that every team can use, and he's a star player. That being said. He's not, you know, Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or, or a star player where, you know, you can, you can lean on him every night. You just, you just can't expect to do that. He, he needs more star players around him. And I wonder, you know, at what point does Danny Ainge say, all right, enough. You know, I, li- I like my supporting cast. I like the guys a lot. They've, they've done this for me and they've been there for me. But now it's time to put together a package and, and get Isaiah some help. And so, the, you know, when we, go down and there's times like this where you're missing Isaiah, they have somebody else to lean on. Yeah, no, I, I echo those sentiments, Murph, and when you look at the Boston Celtics in the last couple of years, uh, a lot of high draft picks, Danny Ainge has done a great job stockpiling those assets and those draft selections, uh, but the draft sometimes is not what you expect it to be, like it was about 10 years ago, hmm. where you would get a college player that played three, four years in the NCAA and could come in and be an immediate impact player. I like Grant Hill out of Tim Duncan. Now, you still get a couple of them where, you know, the, the exceptions of Anthony Davis or LeBron James and Carmelo, but, you know, you look at a guy like Jalen Brown, they selected third selection. He's going to be a good player, but down the road. He mm-hmm. can't really immediately help them to be that third option with Isaiah Thomas and with Al Horford. And in the flip side, Danny Ainge is still trying to make, as you mentioned, that blockbuster trade. We're going to hear the rumors, and they won't stop, and it's professional sports. Danny H. can't come out and say, okay, guys, this is my team, and we're going to stick to it. He's always trying to improve it. So the Marcus Cousins, the Brooke Lopez rumors, I mean, there's, a, there's some Paul George rumors floating around. There's no question Ainge is trying to pull the trigger, but he won't pull it unless it really makes sense for his team. So when I look at the Celtics and I watch them, their games, you know, they need to get more production from their front court. I mean, mm-hmm. Horford is delivering on a consistent basis. But what is Amir Johnson bringing to the table? What is Jarepo bringing? What is Jay Crowder bringing? What is Kelly Olman bringing? Yeah. I mean, Tyler Zeller's trying to get some minutes. I mean, 
Stevens is trying to, to mix and match, but you need that front court production. You need guys to give you that 15 points, 10 rebound a game to get to the free throw line, to get those banks and bodies, those 50-50 balls. Exactly. Yeah. So unless they start getting that production from their front court, uh, they're going to be losing some of those close games. So I think they need to pick it up because the backcourt with Bradley, Marcus Bartis played well, and when they get Isaiah Thomas back, they've been getting that production from the backcourt. Can they get that from the frontcourt on a consistent basis? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Let's look around the NBA right now and look at the standings here. And, and you know, I mean, no surprise where we're at. You see Golden State and Cleveland atop their respective conferences. Um, but who are some teams maybe for you, uh, Peter, that you, you, you didn't necessarily expect to be up there uh, amongst the elite right now, and there they are kind of surprising the league. Who's been a team that sort of stood out to you? Well, if you look at the Western Conference, I think it's top-heavy with the top three teams, Golden State, uh, heavy favorites uh, with, with reason. Uh, the Spurs, you know, just like fine wine, they keep getting better and better. Um, I mean, they're their unbelievable road record to start the season. The Clippers really started well. They've lost a couple of games. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to uh, Mike D'Antoni and the Houston Rockets. Uh, I think that people thought that with D'Antoni into the fold, his platform of success is uh, play offense, play quick, shoot a lot of threes, uh, and keep teams off balance. And I think uh, he's made James Harden a better player. I think the supporting cast is, is playing uh, to the best of their capabilities. You look at guys like Capella as a center is playing better. Patrick Beverly's bringing them that uh, that toughness uh, that's needed. So I think Houston's been a, a big surprise. We saw the game against Boston, the close game that could have gone either way. But I think that Western Conference is a new conference. There's some young teams that have the ability to get into that top four, top five. And I think Houston is one of those teams uh, that I like out in the West. In the Eastern Conference, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's open when you look at Cleveland 1. I think Toronto has solidified themselves as the two seed. Uh, and then it's a crapshoot from three to about 10. Uh, and I think that teams like Boston think that they can get there. I think Indiana's been a little bit disappointing. You look at the Knicks. She's going to say that. Man. Uh, nobody really thought much of them coming into yeah. the season, Murph. Uh, you know, Phil Jackson challenging Carmelo. But look, they're, they're above 500. Jeff Warnersick has done an outstanding job uh, with a limited roster. Uh, a lot of no-names on that second unit. Uh, but they're coming together. Their defense is slowly improving uh, with Kirk Rambis, the, the defensive coordinator by design. But, hey, I'm surprised by the Knicks. They're playing better basketball. Porzingis is a franchise-type player. Uh, but, again, I think the Eastern Conference, and, you know, from three till about ten, uh, there's a chance for some teams to make some separation. I think all of them want to do this heading into the Christmas break uh, and into that NBA trade deadline. But I like what I see from the East. A lot of parity. Let's see what happens with both. Yeah, I'll tell you that uh, NBA is going to be psyched right now about that Christmas Day game between the uh, the Knicks and the Celtics. I think when they made that schedule, they weren't too sure. But that game's going to have huge implications now. So that should be a fun one on Christmas Day. Well, you, you know, the rivalry is always there. Yep. Uh, and, and and I think that everybody wants um, the Knicks to do well, except both fan bases. But I think <laughs> the league office wants them to do well. Uh, but when you look at Carmelo, you know he doesn't have he has his no trade clause. He doesn't want to leave New York. Uh, they're trying to move him, uh, but at the end of the day, Carmelo feels very comfortable living and playing in New York. 
And Derrick Rose is playing better than anticipated. If they could stay healthy, uh, Courtney Lee has been a little bit better in that starting lineup. And when you look at that, I mentioned that second unit. You know, guys like Hernan Gomez and Kyle O'Quinn and Brandon Jennings, they're starting to play better. But, hey, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could see a first-round playoff matchup between the Knicks and the Celtics going for seven games? I think that that would be outstanding out here in those East Coast and league-wide. But uh, Christmas Day, the NBA does it better than nobody else in terms of the matchups that they have going on. Uh, but, again, a rivalry like Boston and New York doesn't get any better than that. Sort of similar to what the Bruins and the Canadians are in hockey. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited about what the, the league's going to do on that day and moving forward as we get into the second part of it. We shall see. Well, listen, my friend, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. We'll get you on down the line, all right? All right, Murph. Have a good one. All right, Peter Yiannopoulos, TSN and RDS, joining us here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. we get back. we got an open segment with Justin and I. You want to give us a call? 603-883-9900. 603-883-9900. Stay with us. The Stretch Run will be back on ESPN New Hampshire. On a new text line, 845-827-1250. say we don't have variety of music on this show. It's rare that you hear me uh, listening to uh, this Swift. artist, Taylor Swift. I saw this and I thought you mistakenly set me Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's no, no, your birthday though. You explained it to me. Okay, yeah, I pay homage to her birthday. And my little one, Maddie, and her stepsister, Emily, I don't know if they're listening, but if they are, that's, that's for you. I, Maddie sings that song a lot in the car. That's a, that's a huh? classic. So, <laughs> that's a yeah. classic. I hope for Maddie's sake, she has better relationship luck than Taylor yeah, she, in her uh, life. She's a running, running. What is up with Let's that girl? Huh? That. Yeah. She is a, uh, well, she needs material. She's a cutie though. pie. She needs material, though. This is how she, this is how she gets her material. Yeah. She goes through and she writes another album <laughs> and it goes platinum and it's great. So, I mean, 
It works for her. I hear you. I guess so. I guess so, my friend. Uh, anyhow, uh, nice, nice uh, sound bites there as well. Yeah, uh, Cyrus Jones needs to shake it off. Yes, because we, are, he, we already played Mr. Jones for him. We'll, we'll give him that as well. Because he's he's a talented. The thing is, he's so talented, and he's just. It's like he just 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 doesn't understand what's going on. Like he that play last night, that punt looked like he was just out to lunch. Like he didn't even know where he was. Yeah. Like he like he just was nowhere to be found on planet Zippy. Just walks up to the ball and kicks it. Like what are you doing? Get out of the way. Or if you're gonna get there, catch the ball, call fair catch, and get off the field. You're up by so much at that point. Like, why are you even going anywhere near it? I think it's just he, he's he's struggling. He wants to do so much. He wants to help he's so tr- bad. He's forcing it. And he's forcing it. He's right. Yeah. And, and because of that, Slater now has to take a kick. And I don't remember the last time Slater actually took a kick return. Oh. And that was an, I saw that coming. I said, he's going to fumble guy. it. He's and he's such, it. he's such a good soldier. Oh, he's captain a great, on that he's team. a great guy. He's a great special teams player. Yeah, not a kick but that's not his thing. <laughs> not yeah. a kick. Returner. But this is life without Danny Amendola. Uh, you know, and you're not going to put you're not going to put Edelman back there. Yeah, they abs- The reason one of the main reasons I think they drafted Jones was because they wanted to get Edelman out of the punt return situations only when they need it. If they're down and they need a punt return, they'll throw Edelman out there. But they wanted to get someone else that could maybe break one that wasn't Julian Edelman, so he doesn't take shots. Yeah, and clearly Cyrus Jones has no idea what's going on. And I, I love last night on ESPN, they go, oh, well, he, he's great in practice. It's like, okay, so why can't he take it from practice to the field? Yeah. How does he just completely forget how to call for a fair catch and just <laughs> get out of the way on a, during a game? Like, what are you doing? Young mental mistakes. Just completely gone. Like, like out on planet. Just Zip. like Taylor Swift's relationship history. <laughs> Young horrible. mental mistakes. Hor- horrible. Just, what, like, what are you doing? Just get out of the way. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. You want to talk about that or Taylor Swift, which I'm sure you probably don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anything, 603-883-9900. 603-883-9900. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that because they're going to be in uh, hostile territory uh, in Invesco on Mile High there. Well, you know, remember what happened last Denver. time they were in Denver and yep. they had a punt situation. Yes. Uh, his name is Chris Harper, and we haven't heard it from him ever since. So, exactly. So, you know, that place, it out. that place, you want to talk about having to be mentally strong and disciplined. Mm. That's the place you need to have it because... When you can't breathe. Yeah, it, it's just... Well, yeah, you get <laughs> that going. And that's catching the ball. You can't that's breathe. all legit, man. That's all legit. It's no myth. Um, but it's 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 serious, man. That's That's a tough place to play. Arguably... You know, I think Arrowhead would have an argument that they are, but you know that is one of one of, if not the loudest places in the NFL. And regardless of records, it's always a tough challenge when you go into Denver, especially for the Patriots. I mean, we talk about Tuka Rask and the Bell Center being Tom his Brady's house of horrors. This is Tom Brady's house of horrors. So I'm really interested to see how they do handle that special team situation there. They got to figure it uh, out in this game because yeah. it's not going to be one of these type of things where. They can call, uh, you know, an audible or what? What did Gruden call? Alert! 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 Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not point to the. They're not going to hear it. Yeah, they're not going to hear the no, alert. There, there is no alert. This is you need to catch the football. It needs to be fair catch. Yeah, it needs to go as planned. Even, even though, like, even to the point too, you have Tom Brady. Like, you don't even need a punt returner. Like, you just need someone to go catch the ball, call for a fair catch, and get Tom Brady on the field. You don't need big punt returns. You don't need a, a punt return situation. In that situation, you catch the ball, and you get out of the way, and you hand it off to LeGarrette Blunt. You call it a game because you were rolling at that point. Yeah. You were you were blowing him out at that point. You had all the momentum in the world. Just catch the ball, give it to LeGarrette Blunt, and call it a game. And he can't do that. So, yes. In, yeah. Endeavor, that's – it's a situation – It's 
going for the rest of the year. They got to figure it out. They got to find somebody that can stand back. Hogan, I don't care. Throw Hogan, Mitchell. I don't care who it is. Yep. They need to put their hand up and catch the ball. That's it. I don't need punt returns. You don't need big plays. Just catch the ball. Yeah, it's 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 going to be essential. The little things in a situation like that, an environment like that, it's the little things, Justin. Obviously, that are so huge. Uh, the stuff maybe you take for granted. You know, just uh, communication, huge. Details. Simple, simple fair catch. Huge. A simple fair catch. Just catch the ball. Huge. You know, so yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, your thoughts um, hockey-wise there. Uh, we, we talked about how physical that game yeah. was last night. Uh, there was a questionable hit by Tory Krug on uh, Andrew yes. Shaw. I thought it was clean. I, I think the NHL too. made the right decision, and I would say that the other way, if it was reversed. Absolutely. I think it's last night. It was night, incidental. Last night was... You you nailed it earlier. Everything that you, if you're a, a true hockey fan, not just like a bystander, that like a yeah. true hockey fan, that game last night is everything you love about hockey. It's it's physical. It's fast. It's a one goal game. It's a tight game. Goal ten. You got everything last night. You got everything you wanted, and the physicality, the chippiness. They can't they can't get rid of that. They can't. They you nailed it. If they get rid of that, this is not hockey anymore. If you if you want to make these five four games. Like that's like fine, yippee! We we'll score goals. Your fantasy mm-hmm. team will be great, but like, who cares? It last night is what hockey really is. It's yeah. chippy. It's hits, and that was to me that was a clean hit. I thought Toriko lined them up perfectly. You know, it was shoulder. It was it was clean, and I think everything everything you got from last night's game, especially Tukaras there. That's that's what that's what you know Bruins Canadians is all about. That's what hockey's all about right there. It, it, my thing though now, the one thing that bugs me about hockey now is that. That hard hits need to be punished with a fight. When, when did yeah. this start? Yeah. <laughs> and when can it go away, yeah, please? Yeah. All right? Like, every time there's a hard physical hit, you don't have to go after the guy that laid a hard physical hit on your teammate. Your teammate, A, can handle himself. Yeah. And B, yes. it's a hard hit. It's part of the game. This is hockey. It's a physical game. And it should stay that way. Especially Andrew Shaw. Andrew Shaw, is put yeah. out, he's put out some hard hits himself. You know, he's, he's no saint either. He's put out some hard hits himself. He's kind of, <laughs> him and Marshan have gone back and forth before. Like, he can handle himself. Like, I know he was, no, he went to the tunnel and he was hurt. But he'll come back and next time they play, he'll probably lay out, he'll probably lay a hit on Krug too. It's just, it's part of the game. And if you take that out of the game, you don't get the rivalry. You don't get the intensity. Last night was, last night was on both sides from football and hockey. Two of the most intense games you ever, you'll ever watch. It was the, awesome. It was just it was defi- such a fun night. The definition of rivalry night. It yeah. was intense, and that that's true hockey last night. That was all clean, all good hockey. Well, we are going to talk some hockey in our next segment as we uh, welcome on, as we do every Tuesday at that time, uh, uh, head coach Rich Celia, the Manchester Monarchs. We'll see who their rival is. I never asked him that. That's how we'll start it. Hmm, I feel like we. I feel like they play Norfolk a lot. I we're at Arundel. Like, I feel like we're always talking about Norfolk. Yeah, <laughs> like, maybe it's them. Maybe I, it's I them. Feel like we will, it has to be it. We will get to the bottom of that with head coach Rich Celia, the Manchester Monarchs, here on the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire, and uh, I'll send this one out again to my little one, Maddie Sue. Enjoy, Maddie. We'll be back here. On- back in the day.
Hi, it's Indian Snow Country. Brought to you by Brenton Woods. Now open for skiing and riding and voted top two in the East for snow and grooming this year by the readers of Ski Magazine. Visit BrentonWoods.com for the latest conditions and specials. Depending on elevation and location, many spots will be picking up all snow to kick off the week with this recent storm. Either way, it's been a great month to this point for skiing and riding. Just ask Chuck, who was out before the snow started to fly at Okemo. The ski before the storm was quite good at Okemo. Favorite big mountain cruises like World Cup, Nor'easter, and Sapphire. Got those early season legs burning and turns cranking, and they've spread their wings to the bubble.